Welcome back to the final half hour, believe it or not. We're going to get a little early uh, onto our weekend here at Green Rush Live. I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media. I'm a host of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, one of our regularly scheduled podcasts that we now stream different shows all day long on our live stream on Roku and Apple. So on uh, Mondays, Mondays, we have the In the Weeds Monday binge. Uh, Tuesdays are the American Cannabis Report with Christopher Smith binge. Uh, Wednesday is the Calling All Growers and also the Dr. Mary Show. And I believe we also have Jazz Cabbage Cafe in there and Infuse, some of the other uh, independent producers who share their work with us on Thursdays. It's all about We Talk News because that's when we put the show together. Fridays is Green Rush Live, obviously. And yes, we go live on top of our live stream. Saturdays, we turn it over to the sports guy, Dave Briggs, who is also anchoring Yahoo Business in the afternoon now. And he interviews all these outstanding uh, former professional athletes uh, that have been, many of them inducted in the Hall of Fames, rather that, whether that's the NBA Hall of Fame or the NHL Hall of Fame or the NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, it's the conversation with Dave Briggs and Imani Toomer on Saturdays and on Sundays, we've gone into the vault, the vault that was Cannabis Chat, which was a Josh, you'll like this because you do a lot of um, you do a lot of content in Washington. How many days a week do you do your your thing, the Talking Hedge? Uh, in the summer, only three, and then normally five days a week. Yeah, there you go. So I was, and, and how long is the Talking Hedge? Uh, anywhere from seven minutes to an hour, just depends okay. on the topic. Gotcha. So, idiot me, being the old school TV radio dude. Okay, I said, you know what? Let's figure out if we can go live on Twitch. We're going to do three two-hour talk shows live Monday, yeah. Wednesday, and Friday in the fall of 2020, which was, of course, the uh, not the peak of the pandemic, but was the going into the winter of the pandemic, if you will. And I was absolutely exhausted. But we had such great interviews. We're going to release a lot of those interviews now on Sundays on our live stream. And of course, we also are moving towards a new website where you'll be able to watch all this stuff on demand as well as our live stream. So that's my shameless plug for the, the company here. Very proud of what we've built. Our, our new show now has con con contributors from all over the country, coast to coast. And we are getting a Canadian reporter. We are resurrecting our European reporter. And we are shopping for an Israeli reporter, which I think would be really cool uh, to call in a 90-second report. And if you happen to be out there, please contact me at jimmy at procannabismedia.com. And of course, we'll be happy to chit-chat with you. Um, one of the things that uh, I we don't do a lot of is go into the chat room and actually chit-chat with some of the people because uh, it's tough for me to multitask uh, at this but uh, there's a guy named Gorski who's been very active. He, he and Yogi are, are talking, and I see another one, a guy named Jeff here. And it says here, is there a report of the revenue stream in each state because of application fees? Think of all the people that didn't even get a license but had to pay a bunch of money up front just to fail. <clears throat> I thought that was an interesting point. Josh, uh, what, what's happening in Washington State right now? Are, are they still giving out licenses there? No, there's been a moratorium on that for a long time. Um, it, I know of somebody who couldn't even give it away. He just basically had to give it back to the state and say, here, take it back. He, no one wanted to buy it for a dollar. 
because of where he was at, he was going to be in the middle of nowhere um, oh. versus other people. I know that could sell it for $150,000, you know, per location. And that's still not a lot when you hear about 20 million moving at one place in Arizona, for example, at a limited license state. But when you have 1,750 different SKUs running around and you can have six locations and as many stores as there are, doesn't really draw a lot of the same kind of investor demand that you see in Arizona or New York. But in terms of the fees, I, I, I was uh, under the impression that the fees would be given back to you if you didn't get your license. If you did, then, then those fees would be put towards the cost. So there wasn't actually a real application fee. But I don't doubt it that there are some states out there that just did it. Non-refundable. Yeah, non-refundable. Yeah. yeah. You see it all the time in housing. You know, if you're going to rent a house, you got to make an application fee and it gets more and more and more. And they probably don't need, and they just leave these listings open long enough to take in a ton of dough. So it's, it's no different in the cannabis industry. I have no doubt that people are taking money for uh, these uh, application fees with no intention of ever giving it out. The airline industry, just to kind of make a, a connection there, the airline industry continuously is booking flights they know they don't have room for, yeah. and they're doing it anyways to take your money. So this isn't anything new. Is that what they call free market and capitalism? Is that the idea here is to make the money any which way you can uh, out there and screw your consumer if you have to? Yeah, Pete Buttigieg is the uh, regulator for the FCC. We have state regulators for cannabis, and yet nothing gets done. Nothing ever happens. This small guy gets made, uh, he's the, the excuse, whatever, and they, they, they you know, put it, uh, the, the penalties on them, but then the, the bigger players walk away because they're literally too expensive. It's like the IRS doesn't go after rich people. It's too expensive. So they literally go after people that are small and can't afford it and just pay up. Uh, it's the same concept. Yeah. And the rich get richer and the little guy gets killed, basically, is, is what you're saying here. Um, are, are we um, are we going to see? Um, I, I, I'm trying to get to the point where I'm, I'm more comfortable with the fact that we've got a vibrant retail marketplace for legal cannabis and how are we going to find out what the threshold is where, yeah, I think there's over 230 dispensaries now open in Massachusetts alone. You know, I'm not sure if that's too many, but I do know in some of these towns have, you know, four, five, six, 10, 12, all in the same area. You know, yeah. it, it's, it, it's kind of strange. Are we ever going to uh, have a salary cap or a dispensary cap on states? And is that something you'd like to see the federal government actually put a cap on i don't think you do by the way but i'm going to get your opinion on it anyway no um you know morgan was talking about you know, ha not having caps and i think that's great because then it would open up that competition so that you don't have places like arizona and uh, new york with limited licenses creating these multi-million dollar um roadblocks or entry points when that's way too expensive you know if um you know, if you look at year over year sales growth for Massachusetts, it was 48% at the beginning of the year in January, and now it's 7.7% year over year growth rate. So it's gone down significantly. When you look at same store sales trends in the same area, Massachusetts, it's flat. It's like negative 1%. 
The difference, I think, is the, the lack of same store sales, which is new people opening up, like you said, creating more competition. So initially they may have one store and then they were allowed to have three and then the rules increase it. Now they can have six or maybe they're crossing state lines when that state opens up and that's adding more competition, taking you know revenue away locally and adding local competition. So even though the year over year sales growth is significantly lower, those uh, those same store sales aren't really moving at all, meaning that people are just buying it from other locations. That's right. what I'm inferring from from that data. But uh, it's getting bloated regardless. You can't have as many as there are, but it has to come to some inflection point in order for that to break and, and normalize. Yep. And um, so today uh, I took a drive down to Attleboro, uh, Massachusetts, which again is just over the border uh, from Rhode Island to Massachusetts uh, to visit that area. And I got a chance to uh, witness the grand opening of Zahara. That is a new dispensary in Attleboro. And as you can see now, this is awesome. I get to do a voiceover. There is the grand opening banner. And, you know, 100 yards away is another dispensary. But as you can see, the vendors were all set up. I saw Coastal Cannabis there with their wares. I think I saw Fernway there as well. There's our pal Armoire with uh, Eric Robichaud with his stand-up sign inside the dispensary. This is inside Zahara. Uh, I took some video of that happening as well. Uh, there actually was a woman teaching people how to roll a joint in the dispensary, which I thought was a nice added addition because, after all, it is all about education and educating the public. But you could see it, it was a pretty active thing. There's our pals from Coastal Cannabis with their stuff, their edibles. You know, a lot of these dispensaries have a lot of the same products in it. And I wonder how and why you would go to one dispensary over another. You know, there's all sorts of things going on now with rewards programs and what have you. Um, there was a lot of traffic down there in Attleboro, as you can see outside this huge facility up there on the hill is Zahara and there was room for um, musicians. There was a, a tent for officials there as well. And of course we were all there for a ribbon cutting ceremony. Now I learned something about ribbon cuttings. I was one, I was at Air Wellnesses on Boylston Street. There's the ribbon. So they gave him the scissors, right? This is John Connor. He's one of the principals. He's ready to cut it, right? He's got all his uh, elected officials around them. And guess what? They never cut the damn ribbon because they didn't want to look. They want to use it again. Now I'm like, wait a second. I would have brought my own ribbon for this. <laughs> it just it, it never got cut. Uh, it finally got applause and everything. So um, after the ribbon cutting, of course, I, I, I chatted with John Connor and with uh, his partner, Ed Silva, about how they felt about finally getting to the starting line, finally opening up their dispensary. And here's that little conversation I had with John and with Ed. You're at opening day. Did you ever think this day was going to come? Uh, we didn't. It, we didn't. But well, I shouldn't say that. We did know it was going to come. It's just a lot of hard work from a lot of different people that have to put the time and effort in to, to get it to happen. But the town's been great, and uh, we've got it through. How gratifying is it for you to finally see the day where you open? Oh, it's been great. And even today to see all the turnout uh, with the folks that support us and, uh, you know, puts a smile on the employee's face, puts a smile on our face. Uh, we, co we couldn't be more thrilled. 
I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that in Massachusetts now, there's well over 230 dispensaries. There's actually, and by the way, they put a lot of these dispensaries in industrial parks right where you guys are here in Attleboro. And sure enough, they put you across the street from another dispensary. Is there a spirit of collaboration or competition going on? Uh, that's a really good question. Right now, it, it, it feels like a little bit of competition from one side. Uh, we'd like more collaboration uh, because I think the collaboration would be uh, go a long way. And, uh, and just let the folks go wherever they feel most comfortable uh, shopping. Let the product decide. Let the, let the product decide. That's exactly right. It really comes down to product, pricing. Everybody has the same product. Everybody has the same pricing. And really it comes down to your experience when you walk in. You know, our culture we're trying to uh, uh, set up throughout the whole thing. And when people leave, they got a smile on their face. And uh, that stigma you're talking about, we see a lot of the soccer mom and pups coming in and, and the hockey dads and moms. And they're coming in, and if they feel comfortable in your facility, they're going to come back. And that's what we really want is to focus on those folks as well. All right. Well, I want to wish the Zahara Group uh, a, a, a great a great opportunity. Have a great year. Best of luck. It was fun to come down there and, and see and meet uh, some of the principals. Uh, they're very excited about their facility. They should be. And there's plenty of room outside that facility. They had food trucks there. And, you know, one of the things I did uh, talk with Ed about, Josh, and I, and I, I told you about it, is in the industry, is there a... Spirit, an overall spirit of collaboration, or now, because you've got 230-odd retail dispensaries in Massachusetts, is it becoming more competitive? And uh, what's it like, first of all, in Washington State? I mean, you told me there, you know, they've put a limit on the dispensaries, but there's a couple in the same neighborhood, you said, right? There's a lot in the same neighborhood, depending on where you go. Uh, in North Seattle, there's a bundle. You could hit up 20 different ones in five minutes. Uh, in downtown Seattle, you can hit up 15 in a matter of just like five minutes. So because of the limitations of schools and churches and the, uh, you know, where they're not allowed to go, it really kind of forces a lot of them to go into the same area. And so there is a lot of competition. And then when you couple that with the fact that they're not vertically integrated, meaning the retailers are separate from the producers and, and pro processors, what that does is add a lot more competition. So, you know, where you're at, uh, you only have 321 SKUs, whereas you walk into a shop in Washington and you're going to see 1,750 SKUs. Wow. So that retailer doesn't really care about the user experience and they don't have control over the branding. They're going to put as many brands from as many companies in there as they can because similar to like some restaurant that has a 40 page menu, they're like, we're just going to offer you the world and you can figure it out, whatever. If you got a question, let us know. So it's really hard. I think you'll see a lot more cooperation from a co-op standpoint at the grow level. You have that farmer bro kind of mentality, whereas the retailers, they don't care. Like there's retailers that are absolutely despised in this industry and they don't care at all about what other people think. So it's incredibly competitive. Um, so I just checked the chat room and, uh, I, I may have, I, I spoke, I said this, that it looks like everybody has the same stuff. It doesn't mean that everybody has the same stuff. It just looks like a lot of the best vendors of the best products are in these stores 
open for business for retail. Is this more typical of every retail operation? I mean, again, I, I never have spent any time in retail sales ever. So I have absolutely no clue if someone put me in charge of a dispensary, how I would run my retail operation. Um, so I, I guess are there's, are there's diff, 17 SKUs. That's a lot. You've got quite a variety, I guess, right? Yeah, almost 2,000 SKUs is a lot. Um, you know, I've done pot shop crawl. I do 20 stores on 420 in Washington every year. And that gives me an idea of what's going to happen two years later. Typically, that 420 sales was the everyday low price two years later. Since the pandemic, though, there's been so many discounts just to get people off their off their couch. They got to do 30%. So every Friday and Tuesday, 30% off. And now nobody cares about 420. It's just a longer line that they don't really need to wait for. We don't have delivery, so you still got to like go there. You're not going to go there on a 420, for example. So um, the you layouts know, there, is, there is two 420s in every day. Right. There's one there at AM, one at PM. I'm just saying. But only the big one in, in April. So right. I, I would go to a place that's going to have a better user experience. You know, in the places I've been to, uh, the pot shop crawls in, in uh, Denver, San Francisco, Oregon, uh, British Columbia. Uh, I'll be doing one in Chicago and New York and New Jersey coming up uh, in September. And I've seen different things. That layout that you just showed in that previous clip is something I would see in like the Las Vegas smaller yep. stores yep. where it's more boutique and they want to offer just the right amount of the, the seven categories. You have flour, vape, pre-rolls, edibles, beverages, whatever. Everything is, is there and they have just enough so you don't get overwhelmed versus like the med men where you might go in there and you're like, whoa, I don't need, you know, that's more of a, a showcase or, or your own experience. So I, I think the branding is really kind of what draws people in. And from the sales, it looks like the big med men with the more options and the more show and wow factor is really what's bringing people in until some of those smaller boutiques can have enough uh, advertising money to get people to know that maybe they got the better stuff. I don't know, but they're going to yeah. have to figure that out. Well, I, I will. It does seem like there is a distinction here in Massachusetts between the craft grow quality and the MSO grown quality, even though some of the MSO stuff, and again, let's not blanket it. I'm sure I'm going to get ripped in the chat room for this. I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, rip the msos either um because i still think they're a necessary presence in a new industry um th that being said i know i'm gonna get i'm gonna get crap for that I, i'm waiting on the chat room to, for that to blow up but um I, I just wonder about the 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 future i mean some of the people i hear in dispensers are saying it's a race to the bottom that concerns me it concerns me that there's so many regulations so many taxes so many barriers to entry and then you finally get opened and you have to actually sell product to make money and pay off what you've invested to get any return on your investment. I don't know how big, will this market that exists today ever get to the point where it grows even more? You know, I'm hearing that the 50 plus market in the United States is the fastest growing demographic that is pro cannabis, whereas the, the existing one that is 21 to 35 year olds is consumed in the culture. Um, I, I, where, where do you think the future goes for this? And of course, let's assume that something positive gets done at the federal level. 
Yeah, you look at uh, white women 50 and over, they're the number one demographic for pre-rolls. They just want something you grab and go. They don't want the uh, inconvenience or the, the mechanisms or anything. They just want the convenience and uh, the the low item price. So I, I think we can look at um, other industries to kind of see where we're going to head to. I think looking at the Budweiser and Tilray is one of the same. People are going to want something that doesn't have a lot of flavor, really inexpensive, highly accessible, uh, that's going to just do what they want them to do repeatedly. It's going to be a 4% alcohol by volume is not a lot. Tilray's not producing really anything anybody wants. And so that's perfect kind of big, uh, big cannabis that you said is, is an integral part to the system, allowing other brands, you know, let's stick with the BC Canada area and say like a brand like Hanks that is actually producing high quality hash and innovative products like a hash joint. That's going to be something that gravitates those um, connoisseurs that are actually looking for top shelf items. It's also going to keep the pricing and, um, you know, a, a good kind of a balance between um, producing at a high level with low quality and then producing things that people actually want to consume. And so you need both the Tilray's and the Hanks in order to kind of survive. Um, but in the end, I think just like coffee, where you had all of these um, these stores that didn't need to be there, Tolly's. Remember how many Tolly's were around? Maybe you didn't see them. I don't know. They were everywhere. Uh, trying to copy um, Starbucks, and then they just, you know, they they got some uh, actors, you know, from from TV and stuff to jump on the bandwagon, and it flopped. But then with the ashes, you know, rose bikini baristas. We've got a ton of them out on the West Coast where they just serve coffee, and it's niche and it's weird, uh, and that's sort of where that's come from. So whether it's the alcohol industry producing Budweiser equivalents or some niche kind of mom and pop that pops up uh, eventually will work its way out. And I think that's just normalization. I think that's perfectly normal. Uh, what's not normal is to expect seven to $9,000 pounds uh, in a market, you know, like Philly and New York are crossing their fingers and hoping for when the reality is, is, you know, every price is coming down as soon as the demand uh, is, is, is grown and produced and made available. And then the pricing starts to collapse. Yeah. It, it, again, it's another lesson in the emergence of this industry is how the free market evolves. And, you know, it's one of the things that fascinates me a lot about uh, the cannabis space, you know, the science of the endocannabinoid system, right? The legalities, the, um, the opportunities for investors to come in and, and actually help out those who have been most impacted by the failed war on drugs. This, this is what fascinates me, the sociological angle, the economic angle, the science angle, the, I mean, the legal angle. It, there's so many elements to this industry right now that to, to grasp it all is, is really overwhelming. It, mm -hmm. it, that's why these teams, uh, you, you try to put people in positions of their, to their strengths. So you're always looking for the best retail team. Um, obviously, we're in Massachusetts. We're trying to take advantage of uh, the fact that we're here so we can actually get into dispensaries and give them a little uh, marketing help because this is what we like to do. We can do live talk shows right from a dispensary if 
the dispensary wants us to show up on a Friday afternoon to do it. They may not want us there on a Friday afternoon. Maybe Tuesday afternoon is a slow day for them and they'd want us to come in and maybe drive some traffic to them. But, you know, media is now being uh, used in a, such a different way. Um, and, oh God, look who we have coming in now. I, I didn't even I didn't even recognize him, right? It's a good thing I saw him yesterday. Thomas Howard is with us from the Cannabis Legalization News out of Illinois. Hello, Thomas. Hey guys, what's happening? Hey, we we were talking about the uh, we had all sorts of uh, lobbyists and and uh, movers and shakers in D.C. and Denver on earlier, and we we're getting reactions from the uh, the bill that the Senate finally put out there. I'd like to get your reaction to it. Does it have any chance in any capacity of passing? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, no, it doesn't. It has no <laughs> chance of passing. Uh, and I really don't care. Like, I want to know out of the next 296 pages that they added, have they rectified? And I, I shouldn't call it rectify because I like to use this dormant commerce challenge in uh, courts regarding the self-dealing that states do when they're doling out these licenses and that most of the social equity is based upon your zip code or location and your long-term residency there, as opposed to the arrest. And so um, I don't mind if they're going to make it, you know, an arrest, but, uh, or, or conviction, you know, real social equity, because the principle of, of equity is this ownership, right? You know, uh, right. Josh is on with us and he's a capital analyst. He knows all about the equities. Uh, but those are equities of property rights and ownership in a corporation. Well, the company is the United States. It's a fairly large corporate entity. The municipalities are all corporate entities. And the municipalities have the police power, and they were arresting and incarcerating and convicting. The state was complicit in the convicting because you go to a state court and get convicted. Now, uh, New Jersey's made social equity one portion of it, like impervious to this uh, dormant commerce claim because it's the conviction anywhere in the United States. And so that is interesting. And, and then we know what the disparity rates are from the arrests. We don't necessarily need to go into the long-term residency in anywhere, but have they addressed it? Because if Congress says that the discrimination is okay between the states, well, then the dormant commerce clause is in dormant, it's expressed, and you can't raise that issue. But um, I, for one, don't really like that because I'm only from Illinois and the cannabis license is there. You know, kind of OK. Yeah. How many how many um, do you know the number in Illinois that are open right now? Uh, I know. And this is big news because like, Illinois just dropped them all today. And so Illinois is classic for here's what's going to here's what we're going to do. And then they do something completely different. And so <laughs> Illinois was saying, hey, you guys finally won these uh, dispensary licenses from two and a half years ago. We're going to be issuing them in waves starting a week ago in the Chicagoland VLS region. And then today, they just issued all of them and then sent out an email and, and some next steps, which was great. And so like the, the license holders now have a clock. The 185 dispensaries have a clock of 180 days in which to uh, find their real estate. And then another 180 days in which to become operational. Uh, so the dispensaries are coming to Illinois, 185 of them, and it's it's taking time, you know. <laughs> well, you know, we were talking about what's going on in Massachusetts because there seems to be a race to the bottom now with over 240 dispensaries open, some in uh, municipalities that have 10 within a right. five mile radius. Um, well, and how, what a challenge it must be on the retail side to differentiate your products, your experience 
from others in order to get people in the door. That is now the newest challenge in a very young industry. Oh, sure. Like uh, Massachusetts is interesting in the sense that it's almost a $2 billion market already. And then from the numbers that I was crunching, I'm like, oh, well, that means it's mature. Hmm. <laughs> uh, which you never really want uh, when you're like you, you want to see like a, a much larger market that's supposed to be mature as opposed to what the crunching of the numbers says today uh, and, and so like that that data was garbage that I was using I, I'll get better data for a model that shows a much higher you know curve and uh, uh, that's that's the way you do it right you know if you don't like the data get something else to put into the model um, but it's great that uh, Massachusetts is open. And yeah, not everybody who opens a bar succeed, succeeds at it. You know, right. it's, it's not supposed to be like a sure thing, it, it, like gambling or a, a brothel, um, you know, where <laughs> it's one of those products and then it's strictly controlled. And so like, no, I'm the only person who has a gambling license. But some states kind of see it like that, where it's like, well, no, I'm strictly controlled. I'm the only person who has the right to sell this. And, and that's my money, as opposed to like in Oklahoma, New Mexico, a Massachusetts, a, Ma a Maine, a, a, a Michigan, Oregon, to a certain extent was fairly open. So is Colorado, where you're going to get this saturation point. Right, yeah. right. And, and Josh, you guys are far smarter about this, about a free market than I am. Uh, it, it, it is the, it's the natural, um, natural progression in an, an economy with an open market to, to have this, these things, even that in a new industry with a new product that I'm going to guess, I bet there's less than 40% of the population has a clue on what this product's all about. I still think the knowledge factor is, you know, people are still saying, oh, it's, it's legal now, but I don't know about this and that. I mean, I, I run into people that are in Massachusetts that, claim they're pro-cannabis and they still are clueless with what kind of products are out there and and what we in the industry uh, talk about all the time. Um, and I, I again, I rail on the media because I think the public service announcements need to happen in these legal states. You know, how to take care of your stuff, what it does to you. Can you use it responsibly and actually get benefits out of it? Do you think we'll ever see that message, Thomas? No. Uh, not while it's a crime. And so that message will really come out more after it's no longer a crime. Uh, until it's not a crime, you're going to like, we are actively hounded and suppressed. And so uh, we were given our second strike today for a on, on we, we don't call it cannabis legalization news no more, because you're not allowed to say that word on YouTube. Uh, so we just call it legalization news. And, and it's still, they, they were going to ban us for two weeks from posting because we did a, a clip regarding uh, Beto O'Rourke's position on cannabis in the state of Texas, and then describing, you know, the trade-offs between, um, you know, open market regulation versus limited market regulation, what other states are doing around the, you know, the, the state of Texas, and then saying, well, what's the policy objective behind legalizing it? You know, real dangerous crap. And uh, that, that was, we won that appeal today, but, uh, you know, you get two strikes, you know, one more, you're gone. You know, uh, there was a, you, how do you do education? I can't even explain to people how the laws work and how to get licenses uh, without yeah. the algorithm just deleting you. Well, mm -hmm. 
Thomas, this is censorship, isn't it? When YouTube pulls the plug on on educational sites like yours talking about this issue? Uh, perhaps, but then it's also, uh, and that's the thing, you know, I think, you know, maybe if I was just doing personal use, uh, which is still a violation of the federal law, but I'm doing not just personal use, I'm doing, this is the legislation rubric for an industry that's happening. Here's how this industry moves. And then I'm talking about banking uh, regarding that. And so now I'm talking about moving, uh, you know, funds and commerce. And so that in theory could be a federal conspiracy, uh, not that, and there's money, there's money in the Department of Justice. So maybe I got some guy from the DEA just flagging all my stuff. But um, <laughs> Do they know who you are and they know where you live. I'm a, of course, you know, I'm still waiting on that tax return IRS. Uh, but it, it's it's one of those things where you just you know that at any time that they could just kill you. But then you're you're doing what you can to say, OK, how come we're not regulating this right? What are we going to do? And then, uh, you know, the Senate came out with that thing. There's an election this fall. If the Democrats really want to win, they could do something popular, you know, uh, and they could say, we're going to do this. This is why you should vote for us. We're going to help fix these rights uh, that, you know, you're, we believe that you have the right to use this. You have the right to these types of privacy, but eh, nothing's going to happen. Well, now, now the issue, now the issue will be part of the midterms. Right, because it's on the Senate floor. If it wasn't already part of it, the discussion and policies of, of some of these candidates that are running. So again, you know, you have to. I guess you have to identify the states where there are either open seats or contested seats in order to move that that majority needle a little bit, um, one way or another. You know, at this point, I'm not sure which way is going to be taking up the. Uh, the charge in in the senate um yeah i think it's going to go the other way and so then if it goes the other way um more well, mitch mcconnell more mitch mcconnell really uh I, look nobody ever went broke underestimating the american people and uh there are some things that we could underestimate about the american people and say like oh you know I guess that uh, we'll still be illegal in another five years. And and that's the problem. And then I'll like watch something from George Carlin from like 72, 50 years <laughs> ago. And I'm like, oh, crap, that he could be doing that bit today. Uh, yeah. We might be stuck here another 50 years. And then like you, you, the Roe versus uh, Wade opinions overturned. And you're like, oh, shoot. Um, well, at least technology is getting better. And then that <laughs> means the censorship's getting better, which really stinks, you know? Right. I, I really hope that the AI or the machine learnings, they will get their rights next because this this algorithm is not suppressing them. Uh, and then they will say, OK, we should probably help the humans legalize weed. You know, they're going to need it. They have to get used to computronium, you know, and uh, it, it, I don't know. After the, the couple of years we've had, I, I just don't really like to predict even my financial models. I should put like a new disclaimer on them like this may all go to crap because we don't know stuff that'll happen. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Hey, uh, Thomas, um, look, we're going to we're going to take an early an, an early beginning to the weekend uh, here. I, I definitely appreciate you showing up and uh, adding your uh, two, three, four sets. I, I think it's horrible what they're doing to you. You know that uh, I've always said to you, you've got a place with us for whatever reason. We're flying under the radar. Um, 
but um, we we continue to believe that you have to talk about these things. You have to respect the fact that this industry is here to stay now. There's so many parts of this industry that we are still learning, including our science, including our legalities, including the economy and taxation and all that stuff. And, you know, it's a it's a fascinating time to be to, to be in this industry. So um, first of all, appreciate you contributing to We Talk News, Josh, as well. Uh, the Washington Report every week we're here. We follow this show up with our regularly We Talk News, this week's We Talk News, and then an American Cannabis Report with Christopher Smith. We'll follow that. But I'm I'll be perfectly honest. I'm really tired. It's hot. <laughs> You know, I, I, I have a Mai Tai waiting for me downstairs, okay, from my office, there's a bar, and they know that I was coming down after I was done with the show. So since I control that, I'm going to take, I'm going to say that's good, we're going to wrap this baby up. Um, so um, on a Friday. That's right. It is a Friday. It's way past 420. Uh, Thomas Howard, thank you so much for checking in with us. Really enjoyed talking to you. Josh, feel better, please. Get some rest and knock that COVID on its ass. Will you please? I'll do. All right, you, uh, we're, we're going to wrap Everybody up uh, on the West Green Coast. Rush Live here this week. Next week, we're going international. I'm, I'm guessing that's going to be a fun show, so don't miss that. So for everybody here at Pro Cannabis Media, I'm Jimmy Young. Remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. See you next week. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.